You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to History of the Second World War, Episode 146, The Winter War, Part 4, Tolva Vayarvi. This week, a big thank you goes out to Jack, Melissa, Soren, Brad, and Fahid for choosing to become a member. You can find out more over at historyofthesecondworldwar.com slash members. While the primary point of focus for both nations would be the fighting that was occurring on the Karelian Isthmus, there would be fighting in many areas along the border regions between Finland and the Soviet Union. One of these areas would be along the Tolva Vayarvi Road to the north of Lake Ladoga. This area was much further north than the Finns had really believed the Soviets would put a significant number of forces, but they were very much incorrect. Overall, the areas north of Lake Ladoga were far more active than the Finns had anticipated, with several Red Army divisions positioned north of the lake and preparing to push forward. It started with the Soviet 168th Division, just north of Lake Ladoga, then to their north was the 18th Division. These two divisions were within the area that the Finns believed the Soviets would attack, and therefore there would be troops ready to meet them, and they did. And in those areas near the lake, things would go relatively well. The problem started just north of the Soviet 18th Division, with the 56th and 139th Division. This episode will focus on the northernmost unit, the 139th Soviet Division, which was advancing along the Tolovayarvi Road, which would take them to an important rail line that was used by Finnish forces to move troops north and south behind the front. This rail line connected the western end of the Karelian Isthmus to northern Finland, and was therefore quite important to the most important area of fighting to the south. Standing in front of the 139th Division was just 4,000 men which were organized into Task Force R. But saying they were organized is perhaps giving them a little bit too much credit. This is because Task Force R was a completely ad hoc unit, with four infantry battalions of various quality just kind of thrown together. This was a problem for the Finns. But it was clear that the situation was even worse when word arrived that the 139th Division was not the northernmost Soviet unit in the area, but there was another, the 155th Division, even further north. When the conflict started, there was almost nothing to stop the 155th Division from continuing along its path to the west. 
the Soviet troops' positioning demanded a response from Finnish high command, especially as reports started flooding in shortly after fighting started. But there would not be an immediate response, and it would take several days before any kind of reinforcement group could be put together. Until that occurred, the Finnish defenders would just have to hold out the, as best as they could. Task Force R would begin to feel the pressure of the Soviet advance just hours after the invasion started. This is because the Soviets would move quickly through the areas around Lake Suyarvi. Just sheer numbers would quickly force the Finnish defenders to begin their retreat, first to some prepared delaying positions, but even these were not enough to prevent further Soviet advances. The challenge here in the north was the Soviet tanks. There were not nearly as many here in the fighting north of Lake Ladoga, but the Finnish forces that were forced to reckon with them were also very different than those manning the defenses further south. The Finnish units around Suyarvi were sometimes made up of men with very little training, and sometimes defensive units were thrown together of men who were not even trained for combat. That's all that was available. In these situations, they did their best, but they were simply unprepared to deal with Soviet tanks rolling towards them. As the situation appeared on the edge of deterioration, orders arrived from Mannerheim at the Finnish headquarters. Task Force R would gather up all available forces and launch a counterattack. The goal was to retake some areas between Lake Solanyarvi and Lake Sudyarvi, primarily focused on a road in this area. The attack would go forward on December 3rd and would experience at least some initial success, if only because the Soviet forces were caught completely off guard. But the disparity in numbers and equipment meant that once this surprise wore off, things would go very poorly. Here is a piece of a later interview done with one of the Finnish soldiers involved in this fighting, Erki Polalampi. Quote, Tanks rattled onwards on the roads and also tried entering into the forest. Firing is intense and then somebody starts to shout that the tanks are now attacking from behind. They've breached through. The man's eyes are round with fear. Another man sees his terror and the shout spreads from soldier to soldier. Nothing can stop it now. Tanks are coming. Tanks have breached, breached through. Men start to run without hearing the commands and curses of their officers. Panic spreads. Fear grips more and more of the companies. Everybody has one thought, to escape the terrible tanks. A young man tries to jump into a passing sleigh, shouting, Now the men of Finland are no match for the Ruskies. Tanks have broken through and the troops are routed. Tanks will kill us all. Even two or three days later, there were still scared men wandering around the, the area looking for their companies. End quote. This is a really good example of kind of the panic that could spread uh, among soldiers with these Soviet tanks because they had nothing to deal with them. They didn't have any idea of how they could even approach the, the tanks and to try and stop them. The Soviet attack resulted in a disorganized retreat all along the line, which was only slowed when the Finnish forces arrived in an area possessing good natural defenses. But even this area would not be enough, and soon another general retreat would be ordered, this time conducted at least in a somewhat orderly fashion. The situation around Suyarvi demanded some kind of response from Mannerheim. By December 4th, the Finnish defenders had already retreated over 60 kilometers, and the only way that retreat was going to be halted was by a fresh injection of reinforcements. The movement of reinforcements was possible. There were multiple Finnish divisions in reserve that could be pulled from. But the primary challenge was that there were so many far-flung areas that needed assistance. This was not the only place that the Soviets were attacking. 
Finnish reserves were not infinite, and so care had to be taken to not overcommit to the fighting north of Lake Ladoga, because some reserves may be needed elsewhere, especially in the south, where the largest Soviet attacks were expected. Therefore, over the course of several days after December 4th, reinforcements would be dispatched in small groups, generally a regiment at a time. These regiments would be sent to positions throughout northern Finland, because these areas around Suyarvi were not the only areas under threat, and other Soviet attacks further north also demanded a response. We will cover some of those attacks in a later episode. For the areas around Suyarvi, Mannerheim would pick Colonel Pavo Talvela to lead a new formation which was to be sent into the area. Tavella was a very good choice for this assignment. He was a long-term service veteran, and he had commanded Finnish troops in this very region during the Finnish Civil War 20 years earlier. He requested that the 16th Infantry Division be assigned to him due to a close personal relationship with that regiment's commander, and the fact that that commander had also fought in this area during the Civil War, so it would work quite well. This request would be granted, and on December 5th, Tavella would, be re- would receive orders to move north with the 16th Infantry Regiment. Over the next several days and weeks, the exact forces under Tavella's command would shift somewhat over time. But he would be in command of all the forces in the areas around Tolovayarvi, which was to the west of Suyarvi, and all of these forces would be called Group Tavella. The formation of Group Tavella, which would include the 16th Infantry Regiment, did not immediately resolve the manpower problems in this area of the front, and when the group arrived, they were still outnumbered somewhere around 5 to 1, and that's just in infantry, and the odds were far worse in other categories, especially in equipment. After taking command, Talvela decided on two courses of action. He would form a defensive line on the western shores of Lake Tolvayarvi, and he would also look for an opportunity to launch a counterattack. To accomplish these tasks, and to generally prevent the complete disintegration of the Finnish units, he would send the commander of the 16th Infantry Regiment, Payari, to the front with the full authority to do whatever might be necessary to restore the situation. The counterattack would then be launched in the form of a large raid that would push across Lake Tolovayarvi. The raid would be executed by two companies of infantry from the 16th Infantry Regiment against Russian troops on the other side of the lake along a road. In Finland, during December, many lakes would be frozen, and so they offered new avenues for troop movement, but there were always risks involved. One of the risks was the possibility of the ice not completely covering large lakes like Lake Tolvajarvi, and in fact this would be a problem for this Finnish raid. One of the companies involved in the raid would run into an area of open water, and would be forced to detour to the south of this open water to find ice that would support the soldiers. This would cause the two companies to become separated, and they would reach the other side of the lake at different times, diluting their attacking power by attacking individually. Another major risk would not be a problem for the Finns in this case, but would amplify the stress felt by everyone involved. If there is one thing that a frozen lake does not offer, it is cover from incoming fire. Meeting a Soviet patrol or being discovered while crossing the ice could be catastrophic. There was simply no place to hide. But in this case, the Finns would get lucky, and they would make it to the other side uh, without being seen. The northern company that would take part in this attack, the 4th Company of the 16th Infantry Regiment, would execute their raid spectacularly. 
They would cross the lake and then scouts would spot large Soviet bonfires that their units would, would light during the evenings to keep warm overnight. The Finnish raiders were able to eliminate a Soviet patrol unit without making any noise, and then they were able to spread out along a ridge line that looked down on this large bonfire area. The Finns took their time, they spread out all of their men and machine guns along this ridge before opening fire. And then when they did start firing, it was like a shooting gallery, with all their targets silhouetted against the fires. In a few minutes of firing, many of the Soviet soldiers were dead, and the rest were being very careful about not being seen. The Finns would retreat back across the ice, their mission a success. This relatively small success had impacts far beyond just the number of soldiers killed. For the Finns, it was one of their first real victories of the war, which up to that point on December 8th had been mostly about retreating in the face of Soviet advances. For the Soviets, and especially for the Red Army soldiers in this area of the front, this raid was everything they feared. And over the next several days, they would not advance any further into Finland, buying further time for the Finnish defenses to solidify itself and even begin to organize and consider a larger counterattack. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Before any Finnish attack could be launched, the Red Army would strike first. On December 10th, a Soviet force would march through the forest north of Lake Tolvajarvi, with the goal of hitting the Finnish defenders where they least expected it. And they were actually quite successful in this, because when they attacked, they not only found very few Finnish defenses, but also very few Finnish defenders. With how outnumbered the Finns were, they were weak in many areas, and in this case, the Soviets were able to take advantage of one of those or one of their weakest areas, because they didn't have enough forces to go everywhere. The Soviet attackers would then overrun all of the Finnish troops that they encountered, and they would even capture an intact field kitchen with apparently some nice tasty Finnish sausage soup, which the Red Army soldiers took advantage of, 
can't really say I blame him that much. The pause to eat would allow just the briefest of moments for the Finnish defenders to organize themselves and prepare to react. When they did, they would scrape together enough troops, including the headquarters company of the 16th Infantry Regiment, to launch a counterattack which would completely catch the Soviets off guard. Soon the Soviets were in full retreat back to their lines. Over the course of December 11th, other attacks would be launched against various Finnish positions, but none of them would have as much success as that initial attack in the north. The one important outcome of these attacks was that it pushed back the planned Finnish counterattack by 24 hours, but it was still going to happen. The new date for the counterattack was December 12th. Tavella's goal was to use the freshest units that he had available to him, a battalion of the 16th Infantry Regiment, along with a few additional companies, to launch a pincer attack with the goal of capturing two key areas. The first was some high ground on the Hervasharju Peninsula on Lake Hervasharvi, which overlooked a critical supply road that the Soviets would have to keep open if they wanted to keep their troops in this area supplied. On that high ground was a resort hotel building where the most important fighting would take place. The other pincer would cut off that same peninsula further to the east to prevent Soviet reinforcements from arriving to the hotel. The troops available, even if they were successful in these attacks, were not enough to make the counterattack into a more general attack or wider attack with larger goals, but the hope was that these two pincers, if they were successful, would cause enough unsteadiness along the Russian front that more units might be able to join into the attack and sort of move the offensive forward. At this same time, there would be separate attacks further north, where several additional Finnish battalions would attack a different Soviet line of advance to distract them and kind of throw this entire area of the Soviet attack out of balance. If everything went well, this would blunt the entire Soviet invasion north of Lake Ladoga and give the Finnish forces some much-needed breathing room. The two pincers of the attack against the peninsula would experience very different things when they attacked. The northern pincer would almost immediately start having problems, which had nothing to do with the actions of the Red Army, but were instead based on the weather, with deep snowdrifts slowing down their movement to the front. This put the entire attack behind schedule, but more importantly, meant that it went forward in broad daylight, which is never desirable. When the attack then ran into Soviet resistance, some progress was made, but they were still far short of their goal for the attack when the decision was made to not go on any further, and that further progress was impossible. Now, some of the Finnish troops would withdraw completely at this time, while others would dig in and defend their furthest goals. This meant that they would not be able to complete their objectives, but these troops would go on to tie down large numbers of Soviet troops that might have been sent further south to meet the attack that was developing against the hotel. In the main attack to the south, events also did not start according to plan. There was some initial hesitancy to attack without artillery support, but the artillery would not be in place in time for the initial start time of the attack, and so the decision was made to wait for the artillery. At the time, this seemed like a necessary delay because the Soviet positions in this area were quite strong defensive positions. The consequence of this was that the attack could not start until two hours after it was supposed to, by which time the artillery was in position and ready to lend its support. The artillery fire, unfortunately, was not very effective. 
and Piari, the commander of the 16th Infantry Regiment, would later regret delaying the attack to wait for it. That's how bad it was. But the Finns continued to move forward, even against strong Soviet opposition, making good use of their heavy Maxim machine guns to try and compensate for their lack of other firepower. One of the challenges during the attack was that the closer the attackers got to the large hotel building, the more fire they received from that building. The Finnish troops did not have anything to really silence this fire, and so they just had to kind of keep advancing through it. As they approached the hotel, the Soviets also sent forward three tanks to try and stem the tide. Unfortunately for the Soviet tankers, they would have to advance in a single-file line up a very narrow road that they could not move off of in any way due to the terrain. Even more unfortunate for those same tankers was the fact that this was one of the very few areas in all of Finland, north of Lake Ladoga, that was covered by some Bofors anti-tank guns that Piari had placed specifically to cover the road that the tanks were now advancing along. All three would quickly be destroyed. But even with this success, by noon, the Finnish attack had stalled. There was simply too much Soviet firepower to easily move forward, and the Finnish troops had become disorganized during their morning advance. Oh, they were also tired? I mean, fighting is hard work. This resulted in an order to pull back from some of the furthest gains so that the men could rest and recuperate and reinforcements could be sent forward. During this pause, Piari would also make the decision to take a company of infantry and send them to attack the hotel from the northwest to spread out the Finnish effort. At 1.30pm, the attack then resumed. It was still hard going, with the Finns having to basically take every single Soviet position slowly and individually, but progress continued. When they finally fought their way up to the hotel, that company that had been sent on that flanking mission arrived on the other side at the perfect time, bringing the hotel under fire from two different directions, along with spreading out the Soviet defensive fire. Around this time, many of the Soviet defenders that were around but not in the hotel actually began to retreat to the east, kind of leaving the hotel isolated to fend for itself. Dozens of grenades would then be thrown into the bottom floor of the hotel, which killed or wounded most of the Soviets. This allowed the Finns to capture all of the ground floor, but strong resistance still continued on the second floor. Again, a concentrated attack was made with many grenades thrown into the second story before Finnish troops stormed up. After the massive amount of grenades and then the Finnish soldiers running up, the Soviet defenders were finally neutralized. Now, one of the easy-to-gloss-over benefits of an action like this, beyond the territory gained or the buildings gained or the effect on morale on both sides, was the captured weapons and ammunition. This would be an important part of the Finnish success in this attack, with the troops who captured the hotel also capturing 18 automatic weapons and plenty of ammunition for them. For a well-equipped and well-supplied army, this probably would not have been a big deal. But for these Finnish troops in this situation, it drastically increased the organic firepower of all of the units involved. On December 13th, the day after the hotel was captured, the Finnish troops in the area were mostly idle, resting after their exertions. But then on December 14th, the attack would restart for what would be about nine days of almost continuous fighting. The problems that were faced at this point were that the attack would continue day after day, but the territory regained from the Soviets would drop drastically, while the casualty numbers skyrocketed. There were a number of reasons for this change, but two of the most important were the terrain and simple exhaustion. 
So after the capture of the hotel and some of the territory in the immediate vicinity, there were some real challenging positions that were made by the Soviets to the east that would be really difficult for the Finns to push through because of the terrain that they had built their defenses on. Piari and Tavella still believed that their men had it in them to push through these new challenges, and they would spend the next week trying to make it happen. But as the casualty numbers rose day after day, Mannerheim considered ordering the attacks to be stopped, but Tavella, the local commander who had been promoted on December 19th to Major General, wanted to continue. He still believed, even as late as December 23rd, that a breakthrough was possible, which would completely reset the situation north of Lake Ladoga. But this was just not in the cards. And Tavella's men were getting more and more exhausted, the units were losing more and more men, and their ability to continue at all was rapidly fading. And so by the end of December 23rd, the attack had to be called off. The men at the front were simply too exhausted. As the attacks ended on December 23rd, the 11 days between the 12th when the counterattack started and when it was called off would be a bloody 11 days for the Finnish units under Tauvela's command, with 630 men killed and 1,320 wounded. Those raw numbers may not seem very large, until you consider that it represented a third of all of the officers and a quarter of all of the men under Tauvela's command, making these attacks the bloodiest offensive in the Finnish army during the entire war. Soviet casualties are a bit of a question mark here, with numbers as high as 4,000 dead and 5,000 wounded, which are numbers drawn primarily from Finnish sources. Honestly, they seem a a bit high to me when compared to the Finnish casualties, uh, especially for a defensive action where the defenders, by and large, in the case of the Soviets, maintained their cohesion. The one piece of good news for the Finnish army is that all of this effort and all of the Finnish casualties would gain one key advantage for almost the rest of the war, because this part of the front would remain mostly quiet, which is what the Finns had been planning for since before the war started. Most importantly, this meant that they would not need to send any more resources into this area and could focus their limited numbers and limited materiel that they had left in reserve on more important sectors to the south. Thank you for listening, and I hope you will join me next episode, when we will not be heading south quite yet, but instead will be heading further north to cover one of the most famous battles of the entire Winter War.